Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com. And now... Get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. On Friday, Amazon Prime Video will release a four-part documentary series which is focused entirely on our great sport of horse racing and two men who will be the focal point of that are our good friend Oshin Murphy, who of course is a regular on the show, and a man who will be joining us for the very first time, uh, top-class racehorse trainer Andrew Balding. Andrew, you're very welcome to the Final Forum Podcast. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, Emmett. Uh, this is quite something. I've seen the first episode. They were kind enough to send me the screener. I decided not to watch, not to watch the second because there's a massive uh, imprint of my name across the screen, radioemmett at gmail.com, just so I don't upload it to YouTube. Not that I would. <laughs> but it is, it is quite powerful. It's beautifully shot, uh, and you are the protagonist of it. So when the production company came to you and said, Andrew, we have an idea for a racing documentary, what was the, the draw that made you say yes to this? And did you have concerns? We had obvious concerns, but I, I mean, this was a, a sort of three-way thing. This was um, uh, O'Sheen, Murphy, obviously, uh, ourselves and, and Qatar Racing, uh, led by David Redvers, who were approached by Equine Productions, John Maxey and, and Dave James and Nathan Oryx, to, that they were keen to do something from sales season and breeding season through to Royal Ascot to, to get behind the scenes um, in a racing yard and a stud uh, to see what happens leading up to the, you know, to the main event in, in June. Um, and obviously, I think we all feel an obligation to try and make ourselves accessible to the, you know, not just to the, to the racing fans, but to potential racing fans. And we felt doing, helping doing something like this might just open the door to, to sort of, people with a passing interest to, to gain a little bit more knowledge and hopefully develop a, a keener interest in the sport. So that was the purpose of doing it. I mean, obviously, when we started, we, we didn't know quite during a six-month filming period what quite could go wrong and, and what we laid ourselves slightly bare to. Um, and obviously, in very early in the episode, um, Ashim had a, a problem with a failed drugs test in France. And... Um, you know, that sort of situation snowballed quite dramatically through the course of, of, of the filming. And, uh, you know, there, there are that and other, other elements to it. But I, I think by and large, it, it's a very honest, uh, 
you know, a very honest depiction of, of life in a racing yard, that the highs and the lows as, as we lead through to Royal Ascot. Yeah, I'm delighted that you brought up Oshin at the start because he's a regular on the show. Um, I have a lot of time for Oshin. I really admire his honesty. And he's been incredibly open in public in with certain aspects of, of the media. There are obviously some media companies that Oshin wants to stay well clear of, and I, I applaud him for that as well. Uh, because they haven't done him any favours. But on Sky, on ITV, in the Racing Post, and on the Final Furlong, he's been incredibly open with what he's gone through. And this doesn't hold... This does not pull any punches. This goes straight into it. It it tackles head-on his therapy in dealing with, with his alcoholism. Um, you and your team reacting to his ban from France and adjusting to that, his comeback... And in some ways, that's great to see because it, it does lift the veil on, on Oshin. You can only be uh, open so much, but to get to see him behind the scenes and even his mannerisms, how he carries himself as he was rebuilding himself at that time, which obviously he's going to be doing again, but it does give you a, a real insight into Oshin as a person and how he carries himself. Yeah, and that sort of, I think the real, the most revealing thing is the pressure that those guys are under, particularly as he pursues, a, you know, another jockey's championship. Um, that sort of relentless pressure and, and you know, it, it's an unusual lifestyle that these top jockeys lead, uh, that they lead. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he's had problems since the program was filmed. Um, but it does give, a, you know, an insight into perhaps the pressures he's under that, that have, have allowed this sort of these problems to develop. So, um, yeah, all of that's fairly honest, and and, and I think there's you know we, the producers haven't sort of skirted around the issue. Issue they've taken it on, you know, head on, and 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 given people more reason to to understand the, what, why perhaps you know someone like Ashin is is you know had the the issues he has. Um, so from that point of view, it's, I think it's amazingly honest. We know that you've got a fantastic team at Kingsclear Parkhouse Stables, and we get to see that. We get to see the beautiful facilities that you have. But in your success, and you've had tremendous success throughout your career, and hopefully that will continue for many more years, trainers are often looked at as, that's the success for Aidan O'Brien, that's the success for Andrew Balding. But this gets to show us just how important your team is, but also how important your wife is and the relationship, which sometimes gets a little bit forgotten. I know that William Haggis will often try and mention Maureen as much as he can, but it, it does give you a real insight into just how important the relationship between you and Annalisa is in terms of making this a successful training career and how incredibly important that bond between both of you and the work that both of you put in to having success on the track is. Absolutely, and I think you know if you look at most successful yards, there's a you know there's a strong team, husband wife team, or, or, or you know assistants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not just the the guy who holds the license. Um, you know, Annalisa deals with stuff I wouldn't even under, begin to understand. Um, you know, in terms of employment law and, and you know organisation logistics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that um, you know, if you if you a trainer involved himself in on a daily basis, they wouldn't have time to train horses. So, you know, and, and that's not just in our yard. I think that's in any yard of a, you know, more than seventy horses. Probably there, there's all sorts of other things you've got to deal with um, that, that aren't 
necessarily obvious to the sort of casual observer, but you know, she plays a huge part, and I think that's very apparent in the in the documentary, and you know, also my assistant and and the whole team. And I think the most I've just seen it the once the the, the final um, edition, and the one thing that came over to me was the you know the love my staff have for horses, and I think that again is is representative of, of every racing yard. I think people who work in racing yards in with antisocial hours and bad weather and they do it for a reason is that they love horses. And I think that's to me, the most obvious theme that comes through the, the four episodes of horsepower. Yeah. There's a lovely scene of one of your, your international uh, traveling lass uh, just petting one of the horses after running it was a Spanish mission. And it's just a lovely sight. And even singing to him after a race is it's really beautiful. And it's quite heartwarming. And as a, a broadcaster in horse racing and a mad fan of this sport, I mean, I know what's going to happen in, in these races. I know what the result is going to be, and yet I still found myself cheering on, go on, Spanish Mission. I still found myself getting wrapped up in it, which is a real testament to the brilliance of the documentary, that even though it's a little bit like Drive to Survive, and obviously the comparisons are going to be made between this and the Formula One documentary, that even though you know what's going to happen, you're still getting wrapped up in the protagonist. You're still cheering for the horses and for yourself on screen. And that, I think, is a great example of just how good this is. Yeah, well, I think that was the, the what they were really striving to achieve um, in, in making this. Um, and it is funny. I mean, this all sort of happened two years ago now, really. Um, so I, I had to be reminded in some of the races what had, what had happened. Um, you know, but it, it, it really does get behind the scenes and, and you know, you get to... to, to perhaps understand some of the, 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 the little training issues we have leading into a big race and the, you know, that, that sort of uncertainty sometimes. Um, uh, I, think, I think it captures that well, particularly with our you know, alcohol-free going to the Guineas and, and to the Fred Darling, that early part of the season. Um, so you know, from that point of view, I, I think it's, and as you say, it's beautifully filmed. Um, they've done a you know, wonderful job with the, the editing and the filming. I think that's, that's one of its strengths. And your children are very much important aspects of this as well. One of the things I found intriguing was your decision, you and Annalisa deciding that Jono and Toby, your two sons, should go with Annalisa to Qatar uh, and that this would be beneficial to them for de- their development. I would have loved to have had that opportunity as a kid. And I'm sure that it sure. was. I'm sure that it was massively exactly. helpful. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. I had a 50 yeah. 50 guess there, Andrew, and I went for the wrong <laughs> one. It was the same day with Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and dang it, I hit the no, wrong one. No, it was actually Saudi Arabia, but it was during half term and, and during a lockdown period in England. And there was very, you know, what do you do with kids if they were stuck here at home with me? And the, the opportunity to go there, A, we felt it would be a good experience from, from a horse perspective. You know, they're both mad on horses and love racing. But also, from a cultural point of view, to go to somewhere like Saudi Arabia um, and experience that, you know, totally different culture, we, we thought, we, you know, what's the opportunity was there. And you're right, they're very lucky to have had the opportunity. You know, not everyone's afforded that. But, um, you know, it's something they'll, they'll never forget and they still talk about now. And you mentioned COVID. It is weird seeing so many face masks in this. And I was thinking, what was that like? The, because the social distancing is very obviously there as well. But the fact that the documentary went ahead during a very uncertain time, lockdown was still in place, the social distancing, the face masks, was that a, an added issue for you? Was it an added 
or was it just that such a strange time that having cameras and microphones in there in the in the morning at six a.m. on the gallops just was like ah another thing we just let's go on with it. Yeah, it was, but, I mean the, the whole thing with filming etc. It can be done socially distanced, so um, it wasn't too you know it wasn't a big problem from the COVID perspective. Um, and they were very you know it was a fairly small camera team to be honest. It was Dave and sometimes one other person. So. Um, and Dave was virtually living here, so it wasn't it wasn't a big deal um, from that point of view. But it is quite quite sort of odd looking back at those you know big race fixtures where you only had five these five thousand people at Royal Ascot or whatever. It just feels so eerie and and um, you know under under supported. But but that was right in the th- the thick of the COVID years, really. And we get to meet a lot of your staff and we get to see, as you mentioned, just how much they love the horses, but also we get to know them. And I think that's something ITV have done very well over the last few years, their their entire tenure of horse racing, is showcasing traveling lads uh, and lasses and getting to to meet the stable staff and getting an insight as to just how important people behind the scenes are. But there's one in particular who we are introduced to quite early on, and it's quite a, a dramatic story and this is the story of, of Abdul and I strongly suggest that everyone watch the documentary for yourself uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers but it's a very um, emotional story the fact that you and Annalisa took in this young man who couldn't speak English who couldn't uh, write uh, read or write um, having been through absolute hell a- as a child uh, and how he turned himself around with you and, and then the emotion of that story it's a very powerful thing Andrew it, it is the one thing that, that, that isn't mentioned in this that actually Greatwood the um, resource rehabilitation retirement place had a lot to do with the initial um, helping of Abdul get into you know involved with horses and he came to us you know very raw I, I mean you know a real novice rider um, his, as you say his English wasn't great certainly couldn't write or read much English. Um, but it was it was a fantastic thing seeing him sort of develop a you know, very good writing skill. Um, and and you know his English improved obviously and you know you'd have to watch the documentary to know the rest of the story. But it you know he became a very valued member of the team. Um, so uh, yeah that, that was an interesting by story which I think they captured very well. Your, your wife, Annalisa, talks about how he essentially got to the UK on a wheel arch of a truck. But how did he end up with you? How does he get to, to your stable and, and to be living with you and your family? Well, it was actually through my sister. He Through Greatwood, he won an, or Greatwood had won an award um, in, in sort of helping get Andal out of a, a sort of, yeah, the foster home or the, or the refugee home that he'd found in in the UK asylum asylum essentially uh, in the UK and to, to get him skills with horses he loved animals and he won an award and my sister had met him at the awards and said oh if you you know if you fancy a job in racing you should bring my brother and he, and he you know they did get in touch and yeah Abdul was probably with us for just over two years. It's a remarkable story and it's a beautiful aspect of the documentary as well which again I don't want to give too much away about the story but Clearly, the love that you and Annalisa had for him is there for all to see, and indeed, uh, in the yard as well. It's it's a heartbreaking, but at the same time, very compelling story. Uh, hopefully, with a happy ending. But watch the documentary to find out more. Um, in terms of racing itself uh, and where the sport is right now, in episode one, we see the the Derby trial 
the Winter Derby trial uh, and Bangkok winning that. And then, as we mentioned, going to Qatar and, and Saudi Arabia. Obviously, the international prizes have become huge. But in terms of British racing itself right now, I've talked to a lot of trainers, William Haggis, Richard Fahey, Charlie Fellows just last week about the current state of, of British racing. And it's something that more and more are speaking out about and more and every trainer I've spoken to is just issuing more senses of frustration. What is your own thoughts on the current state of, of British racing and the landscape that's facing it right now? Well, I, I was relieved to read today that there is a, some sort of summit taking place over the next 48 hours to, to discuss the future and the structure of British racing. I mean, and this is the trouble there. It's sort of three or four factions all tearing in different directions, essentially wanting the same thing. And that's the, you know, racing to be a foremost sport in the UK and, and with, with good attendances, good television attendances and, and general public interest in the sport, good betting turnover as a result. So, so essentially we all want the same thing because obviously, you know, race courses are healthy then, well supported, the, the sport is keenly followed betting turnover increases hopefully and as a result prize money does as well so you know we, we're all essentially wanting the same thing it's just how we go about streamlining the product i think there is i think we all agree there's too much racing and it's that's the detriment of the of the sport we're sort of flooding the market full of you know low-grade stuff that turns people off rather than turns them on um, and I think the whole thing just needs a reboot and to, to streamline, particularly at, the, at the, the top level and try and get the focal point on, you know, for flat racing I'm talking about, but, you know, that summer season and, and having some narrative to it from, from, you know, from the Craven meeting to the November handicap, essentially, or Champions Day, whichever you want, and, and getting some sort of easier to follow happen through those festival meetings um, and how we go about that I'm not sure but I, I think as, as we say I think all trainers certainly and you ask any of my stable staff they all agree that, that you know they're just the, the load of, of racing that we have to to try and you know get through on a weekly basis is, is just unsustainable really and one of the biggest problems in, in the sport at the moment is, is the staffing crisis because so many people have been, good people have been sort of turned off by the antisocial hours and the relentless nature of, of how racing is structured at the moment. So I think all of those points, I hope, will, will come into the mix and, and possibly trying to get some sort of unified direction forward between the race courses, the bookmakers and, and the, the, the horse group, essentially. Um, so let's, let's hope the next 48 hours are, are fruitful for those people who are involved. Yeah, that, it was an interesting development today. It is a very serious job that you do, and obviously you and your team take it very seriously. But at the same time, with the cameras being on you constantly uh, and being on your staff constantly, the only thing that you see is just how happy your staff are, how happy they are and enjoying their work and clearly loving the horses and engrossed in it. But you did mention the, the staffing crisis, and I've spoken to... It's not just a UK problem. It's a major problem in Ireland as well and becoming a bigger problem of heard from numerous trainers about stable staff in Ireland who have left the sport entirely, a sport that they have worked their entire lives in and that they love dearly and brokenheartedly have left it to go into the trade industry just because the pay is better and the working hours are better. Um, just how serious is this staffing crisis in the UK right now? 
I think, you know, we're terribly lucky here because we can accommodate most of the staff. Um, you know, we have fairly good working conditions. Um, so, so we're quite lucky. But I, I think it's a very, very serious problem. And, you know, for us to be maintaining, our, you know, the numbers and the, and the standards we're trying to, it's a constant battle to, of recruitment. Um, you know, so it, it is a, it's a major problem. And I, I think it's... Um, and it's not just about pay, it's about hours. And, and the trouble is, it's a, it's a sort of vicious circle in the fact that in order to give people more time off, you need to have people to be doing their job whilst they're having the time off. So you, you've always got to have an overload of staff to, to, to do it, to run it how you'd like to. Um, you know, I'd love to give everyone an extra day off a week, really. That would be my aim. But in order to do that, I need, need to employ another 10 you know, really competent riders to, 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 to do that. And as I said, it's a vicious circle. I and mean, we're lucky we've, we've just, we've been granted an, you know, overseas employment license. So we can source riders and, and, and grooms from further afield than Europe. Um, so that, that's, that's a help from, from our point of view. But again, it's a very expensive process and it, it's not easy. It's not just um, you put an advert up there and you get 50 good applicants um, it, it takes a little bit more time and trouble than that, trying to select the right people, and then obviously a very ex expensive process to to get them over um, in the first place. So it's a constant struggle, and I don't have the answer really to, to how you solve it, apart from perhaps a little bit of reduction in numbers and, and numbers of races. I was in London at the weekend, and we're recording this on Tuesday, the 20th of September, and obviously... UK is in mourning. I was listening to LBC yesterday and, and watching Sky News. And as I did, I knew from, from John Maxey, the producer of this documentary, or one of them, that you were going to be attending the Queen's funeral. Uh, and then I saw you on, on Sky News in, um, in Westminster Abbey and, uh, and in the church uh, on Sky and on CNN. You were caught on both. Uh, it's, it, it was extraordinary to see the amount of outpouring of emotion that there was for the Queen, hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets of London, and Windsor was a breathtaking sight. She was a remarkable leader, but what was she like to train for, and what was she like to work with? She was quite amazing. I think it's been all been said before, and, you, you know, I couldn't be, couldn't find the words to describe, you know, the honour it was and the privilege to, to have been able to there and to have that access to her. I mean, she was absolutely passionate about it. She loved talking about it. Very knowledgeable, um, you know, and, and I think there were seven or eight of her trainers there yesterday. And we were all feel the same sense of privilege to have been able to, to say that we trained for the Queen and, you know, and that sort of having personal access to her as we did, we sort of take for granted. But it was an extraordinary thing. You know, we'd, be, we'd bring her before every runner and you know, talk about the weather and the horses and the, you know, whatever else was happening. And, and she was just a, an absolute joy to, to, to deal with. And, um, you know, she will, she leaves a huge void, not just for, for our country, but, but for the sport of horse racing. She was an incredibly knowledgeable person about racing. And, and that was captured many times, even her celebrating wins, which was lovely to see. Um, and it is difficult to imagine the sport without her. Um, and, and as you said, it's going to be very big shoes to fill. Uh, one of the key horses in the documentary is alcohol-free. Um, as I've just seen episode one, she's just running the Fred Darling. 
so obviously the guineas and the, the coronation are to come. But we already know the story uh, with Alcohol Free and, and what happens. And this season, she dropped back into sprinting company and, and won. And I was reminded of just how concerned you were about her actually even getting a mile uh, last season. And subsequently, she's gone on and run a monster race behind Bayeed. How is she? And she has an entry in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes, uh, but also in the champion sprint stakes. What's the current plan with her now, uh, away from horsepower, um, but yeah. looking towards the end of the season? Yeah, she sadly she had a slight setback before Haydock, and it was going to be a rush to get her ready for Kipco Champions Day. So we've decided to to abandon that idea. She'll go to the sales, but be sold as a horse in training. She'll be in, in full training leading up to it. So you know any potential buyer, if they fancy, you know if they were attracted to a race in Japan, Australia, or further afield, um, there is that possibility. And um, I, I mean, she obviously talking about. The big void from from the, the Queen leads in, on a lot smaller scale, but to, to my yard, alcohol free obviously leaves leaves a will leave a big void as well. But she's been the most amazing filly to train, really. I mean, I, I think it's unprecedented to have won a Cheveley Park, a Coronation Stakes, a Sussex Stakes, and a July Cup. I, I think for a filly to have achieved those, particularly the latter two, I mean, it takes a pretty special horse to do that, and she's just that a very special horse. Group one winner at two, three, and four. She's she's been extraordinary for you. Um, do you expect her to be sold as as a racehorse to continue her career with with someone else? And if that does happen, uh, it's obviously going to be a little bit bittersweet. It may very well be the case that she's retired to stud uh, by her new owner, but seeing her run for somebody else would be a bittersweet sight. It would, but I, I think that there to to attract all potential purchasers, we we've, we've got to leave that door open, and you know. Whilst we obviously would be sad to lose her, suddenly an Australian breeder bought her and decided to try her in Australia or Japan, or you know Japanese in Japan. That's the reason she's being sold in training. Um, but I, I think obviously the likelihood is that whoever will have her breeding career is in the forefront of their intentions, and she's the most fabulous-looking filly. She's got a wonderful pedigree. She's the ultimate resource for, for a race mare as, as we've talked about to achieve what she has she ticks all the boxes so um you know i think she'll be very popular um <laughs> tassels in the, the december service. that is going to be fireworks when she goes through the ring a daughter of no name ever who was absolutely top class as you said group one winner two three and four that's going to be a big bid uh, for sure just finally andrew as you look ahead to the release of the documentary uh, it's Friday, Amazon Prime, all four episodes will be available straight away. What do you hope racing will get from you contributing to this and being the focal point of this documentary? It, do you know, I, I think, I hope that it might be discovered by people who might not be listeners to your show or, or regular race goers or, or race fans. If it could just possibly scratch the surface of someone's interest who knew nothing about the sport but stumbles upon it and thinks, oh, this is interesting, gets involved in the series and, and then wants to find out more about horse racing or go horse racing, that's really what I'm hoping to achieve. Um, or, and I think that was the idea of the, you know, Oshin, myself and David Rebbers, that was the, the ultimate game, um, is why we agreed to do it. So, so that's my hope that, that someone, and the funny thing is it does, that sort of, you, 
slightly slow winter start. It, it does really pick up in the spring and the and the summer edition. So, um, you know, the, the last episode when we get to Ascot is, is really quite exciting. So I, I hope, you know, for somebody who doesn't know anything about racing, they might, we, we probably did the wrong way around. They're probably better off starting with, with, with the fourth episode where, where stuff happens. But um, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a good insight and, and hopefully we, you know, somebody watching, even if they know a lot about the sport, might discover something they didn't know before. Um, anyway, that's the hope. Well, I love how episode one tows you into your world and introduces us to, obviously we all know you, but to you and your family and your team and then sets the scene for how it's going to go. Um, I love it. It's it's tremendous. And I think it's going to, I really do think this is going to attract more fans to the sport. And I think that's a, a fantastic thing about it. It's beautifully shot. It is our version of Drive to Survive. And you are the protagonist of this story. So it's fantastic to get to talk to you, Andrew. Uh, thank you so much for your time and the very best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, Sam. Thanks very much. Alcohol free, trying to hold off the cavalry. Wouldn't be a day that I haven't thought about alcohol free in the Guineas. Just to get there is a challenge. This is her chance to prove that she is the best of her generation. Yeah! Royal Ascot. Box office drama. This is the defining period. There is a shadow hanging over me with this band. Extreme drama here at Royal Ascot. The jockeys will give evidence like lawyers in there. Very, very tense. Hashim Murphy has burst through. define your career. If he doesn't win, I can honestly say he will go to his grave an unhappy man. And one of the producers of Horsepower from Equine Productions is comms consultant and former jockey, John Maxey. John, welcome to the Final Forum Podcast. Thank you, Emmett. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for sending me the two screeners. I've watched one. I decided, as I was saying to Andrew, I decided not to watch the second just because it is, I've had this before. Um, with other films, but it is odd having your watermarked email in the center of the screen. Now, it is going to stop me from uploading it to YouTube, so well done on that front. Um, and it, it doesn't take you out of it too much, but I'll, I'll watch the rest of it in, in Glorious HD. I can't recommend this enough. Uh, and I was somewhat nervous. I was excited. I thought the trailer looked really good. I spoke to Oshin about it last week on the pod. Uh, but it's every bit as good as sometimes the trailer can tease you up for something and make it look epic and then you watch it and say, ah, that wasn't very good. This is terrific. It's beautifully shot. It's got a lot of emotion. And as I said to Andrew earlier, I know what's going to happen with these horses, but I don't know what's going to happen with the people behind the scenes. And I'm still drawn in to cheer on Bangkok. I'm still cheering on for Spanish Mission. I'm still cheering for for Oshin and for Andrew. And that is uh, an example of just how good this documentary is. So congratulations on a terrific production. It really is stellar, and I couldn't recommend it enough. Thank you very much. Um, it, it has been, it's been a long time coming. I think, I suppose, anything that's really good probably does demand a certain level of patience and, uh, and hard work to get there. Uh, not least, I mean, the cooperation uh, from, from Andrew and Oshin and also Annalisa and the whole team at, at Kingsclare. Uh, it it goes without saying it, it couldn't have been uh, couldn't have been done without them. John, when this idea was at its inception, how did the idea come to go to Oshin and Andrew? Why did you decide that they would be the protagonists of this story? So, without wanting to bore anybody with too much of the of the, of the background, 
Um, we at Equine Productions uh, wanted we wanted to do something which was you know more ambitious and in the in the space that I think a lot of people within racing were looking for something which you know captured the imagination and was 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 big and bold. Um, we were fortunate. We went pitching the idea uh, with a so this is a co-production uh, with a company called Lawton, who are an up-and-coming production house in London, who have uh, produced Rooney and an Oasis documentary called Supersonic and a Stephen Gerrard documentary for for Amazon. And uh, we were looking for the you know the characters, and I I just kept getting coming back to Andrew and O'Sheen, who I both knew. Um, I'd done some work quite quite a long time with guitar racing, and they obviously are both on the on the roster for for that team. So I knew them well, but they both um, ticked ticked the boxes that that, that we wanted. Um, and then, as it turned out, I mean, uh, even even I'm afraid down to Ashin's you know positive test for cocaine, they they gave us incredible stories and incredible access. And that's one of the things about this is it doesn't pull any punches. It goes. It's almost the level of detail that I don't know if you've seen Hard Knocks, the NFL documentary that follows various franchise teams each season. And one of the things that's really compelling about that is you've got these players who are fighting for a place on the roster, and none of them are guaranteed it. Obviously, the big guns are pretty much certain, but even they might get caught. And when they do. You see that in the manager's office. You see that in the the general manager's office, the decision being made to cut a player and what that is like. Um, and in this, you are seeing Oshin in therapy. You're seeing Oshin uh, look down the barrel of the lens and talk about his struggles. And look, he's talked about that here on the final furlong. He's been incredibly open and very engaging about it. But this this documentary does not pull any punches. It goes straight in with what Oshin has been battling. Uh, it does, and and I th- I think again, I mean, you know, there was there was a big element, I believe, you know, of of the participants needing to trust us, um, because you know, I mean, I've actually I've worked in my days with the jockey club. Uh, I worked with two or three um, programs, uh, and you just knew from the beginning that <laughs> I'm afraid you you know whatever they said, it was very hard to believe that they were going to be as good as their word in the final edit. Uh, it takes a huge leap of faith uh, from those parties to give you that access. Um, so we were, you know, without wishing to repeat, we were very grateful for that. The other area that I think I, I particularly love a, about this is actually the the the, the content. I mean, Ashin and Annalisa and Andrew are, are wonderful, but actually the stories that we get, the Kingsclear team and the surrounding those stories, which. Uh, I think, you know, not get even better in episodes three and particularly in four. Um, I, I find those the most fun to be able to do, the most rewarding uh, and really and really key for the sport to be able to show the wider, you know, the wider world, the hard work and the emotion that, that is invested in it. One of the things that's really unique about our sport is that bond between equine talent and humans, the bond between horses and and people. And you bring across that beautifully from, as Andrew said earlier, the the relationship that his staff have with the horses and the affection they have for them, that Annalisa and Andrew themselves have. Uh, you capture that vividly in this. And that is, that's a unique selling point for the sport. It frustrates me when 
there's marketing for Royal Ascot or for the Judmont International Meeting or actually York is off the hook. Sorry, William Darby. You guys actually specifically go out of your way to mention the horses. It was the Lockinge that ignored the fact that Bayid was turning up and just said, beautiful people at Newbury. Horses are always going to be the selling point. That's always going to be the draw. And for some reason, there are some race courses and media that market it in a different way. And this really should hook new fans in by showing that bond, by showing that even stronger here. Um, and and it's, it's an easy thing to say. It's not an easy thing to capture, but you do it brilliantly. That's so, yes. I mean, I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to be, anyone who's been around racehorses, you know, f- is familiar with that bond. And we wanted to try to give, try to capture a little bit of the horse's characters. I mean, the horse, which I think is, you know, which is followed right the way through from episode one to episode four is alcohol free. You know, and without the help of Cassia, who was looking after her during that time and was riding her, you know, you wouldn't capture the, you know, the horses can't talk, but she's got a remarkable character herself. And it was great to be able to, to, you know, to try to capture that. And I find it's quite interesting when, you know, the term sort of my horse, you know, that can be the breeder, the owner, the trainer, the jockey and the member of staff. And they will all refer to that horse as my horse. And each one is equally valid in its own way. Um, you know, no, you know, no one necessarily has a, I mean, I've, obviously the owner owns that horse, but I, I, I also like the fact that owners appreciate this lovely piece actually in, uh, in episode four, when, uh, giving away a spoiler, there's a Royal Ascot winner and the owner, you know, uh, in question says, no, you've got to the, to the groom says, you have to lead it. This is your moment. Oh, that's lovely because that is something that we've talked about in the show in the past. Look, you pay the bills. If you want to lead the horse in, that's fine. But it is the the person who is working with that horse day in, day out who really should get to do that. Like, that is their moment. And it's I always admire that when an owner steps back and goes, no, 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 no. I'll get the photo afterwards. You do this. Um, when Equine Productions were coming up with Horsepower and you were obviously going to focus on the personality side of things and uh, showcase the, the staff as much as you could you couldn't possibly have envisaged, though, John, that you would have a story as compelling as that as stable staff member at, at Kingsclear, Abdul, which, I mean, I got punched right in the gut with that story. That That is, it, it, the arc of that story essentially is in the first episode, but it is very emotional, very, very powerful. Um, yes, so the Abdul's Abdul story. I mean, I was aware of Abdul before, and he, you know, he in the one of the things we had to do, uh, you know, is, is storyboarding, as it's, as it's known, which is try to be as precise as we could be about what each story would be, even before they'd unfolded. Um, but the aim was to feature him in some way um, because it is a, it is a remarkable tale of his, uh, and, I, and I actually, you know. Um, interest, not surprisingly, there have been people who've been looking to even do a, you know, sort of a feature length on on his story. I mean, he's he's, he's fleeing from Sudan and uh, how he's just his journey to even to get to the UK um, in itself uh, is is amazing. Um, I mean, we got thrown a little bit of a curveball by people who will see that because actually, just as we're about to get into the telling of his story, he announces that he's he's leaving Kingsclere and is is getting head back to um, to Africa. Um, so that's, uh, and that's, and that's, that's sort of caught in, caught in real time. 
Yeah, and that caught me on the hop as well. But what it also does is it it really catches out Annalisa. Um, and I like the fact that she doesn't hide that in any way. I mean, I, I don't want to give too much away because I can't recommend enough that you have to go watch this documentary, that you need to see this. But she doesn't hide how... She, she understands how important it is for him to make the decision that he's making and to do what he's doing. But she also... At no point does Annalisa hide how disappointed she is with that. She even specifically says, if he thinks I'm just going to get out of bed in the morning and go on with my life, you know, that's not how this works. And I really admired her honesty there because it would have been super easy for her to just go, yeah, you know, look, it's been great. We've got to know him and best of luck to him. But no, she she lays it all out there. Um, she does, and she 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 was extraordinary, and I, and I think it's you know we had someone helping uh, Lawton quite rightly, and advise you know brought someone in to help us with this with the human interest storytelling. Um, there's a documentary maker called Stephen Riley who was integral to uh, the the putting together of, of of horsepower, and he had you know he had very little, if I say, interest even perhaps in 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 racing, but it it made sure that we really paid attention to the human interest stories and told them in the best way that we could. Uh, and I, and I think, um, that's what I, one of the factors, which I hope will, you know, resonate with, with it, with an audience. Uh, and I hope it also helps it reach a wider audience. Yeah. What was the overall goal when you decided that you were going to make this? Because during COVID, and it's interesting that this was shot during COVID as well, one of the documentaries that exploded on the scene was Drive to Survive. And there's no doubt that that benefited greatly from the pandemic because we're all stuck at home. What do we watch? Oh, people are talking about this thing on Twitter. Um, and inevitable comparisons are going to be made between the two. But when you set out to make a documentary about horse racing, why racing? I mean, I know for you why, but why horse racing? Um, and why the flat? Why did you choose the flat and not jumps? So, I mean, I think my racing was, I mean, that's what, um, so Dave and I, who are the, you know, producers and directors, Nathan Horrocks, who the co-founders of Equine Productions, I mean, we just love the sport. So it was our, it was our dream to capture that and bring it to the screen and, you know, in, the, in a way that hopefully could, you know, do it, do justice, which, you know, you've referred to earlier in those elements of, you know, the bond with the horse and the work that goes into it. Um, the second point, what was the second part of the question? Because I think it was probably more pertinent or interesting. Uh, why um, horse racing what and, that, and what was it you wanted to achieve from the sport? But why did you, oh, why did you choose oh, no, racing? You, why choose the flat? Why the, why the flat? Yes. So, I mean, that was a very, uh, I won't say calculated move, but I mean, right from the outset when we were trying to get, and it was, you know, this was, this was not a commission program. This actually in the end ended up being a self-funded Piece thanks to thanks to Lawton getting them funding funding to make it, but um, I mean I you know I started off in jump racing. Uh, Nathan you know started off in you know jump racing is is his probably his his first love. I think I might have crossed over to the dark side of the flat in the meantime, but that's where <laughs> we both started. Uh oh. Uh, but um, but I, I I was pretty insistent that I said I think it's got to be the flat, and I always wanted Royal Ascot to be the climax because I said that is the one meeting which has the most international recognition. It, you know, you could argue that individual races are bigger or better, but as a, as a, as a meeting, which has, 
you know, in, stimulates interest from Australia to America and uh, the Middle East and Japan, Royal Ascot is 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 the jewel in our crown, to use that cliche. Um, so uh, that's the plan was to build it around that and that have that the climax. I mean, be I'm sure, and I can understand people will you know slightly maybe be frustrated that it finishes there at that at that point at that juncture and that you know we don't go on to cover uh you know and even maybe off you know to france but to me to make this flood get it off the ground um it needed to be flat racing because that that is a more internationally recognized you know code of the sport and royal ascot is the most recognized meeting that the the british racing british and ireland racing together actually have we're doing a jumps special on Wednesday with Paul Ferguson and the reaction that we've gotten before the episode has even come out is extraordinary. And this has been a huge year for the final forum. This, this is the 20th of September. If you look at the listenership, which was the highest ever last year to the show, thankfully, thanks to our amazing listeners. And you compare it to 20th of September, January 1st, 2021 to 20th of September, 2021 and do the same thing for now. It's bigger. We have more listeners this year than we had before, and we've put out the same amount of podcasts, maybe slightly less, actually. Um, number three just last week on Apple Podcasts, and I it's extraordinary to me. Like, the Premier League is back. It's bonkers, and we're blessed to have the incredible listeners that we have. I'm very, very grateful for that. But the second we mentioned jumps racing, it just goes up another gear. It goes up even even further and higher. Some people just tune out for the flat, and that's fine. That That's okay. I, I have no problem with that. But I completely get why you chose to do the flat over the jumps, and the main reason being what you said, the international draw. Like, in, in this, you are seeing Andrew Balding send horses to Qatar and Saudi Arabia, and think of the jurisdictions there. Even the listenership to this show, it's 70, 72% in the United Kingdom, 17% in the Republic of Ireland. And then the other jurisdictions after that are the United States, Australia, Canada, France, Spain. All of those jurisdictions have something in common. Expats, ex-British and Irish people living there, but also horse racing. And yes. flat is flat is huge. Dubai, the UAE is massive for us as well. That's at least number seven, I think, on the list for us. It's, um, it's enormous, the draw. And this is giving the opportunity to showcase that. If you show jumps racing... I think you would definitely bring more people into it, for sure. But American and Australian viewers, or those who are based there, will find it easier to connect to the flat than jumps. But it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating subject, because if you look at the, and, uh, you know, look at the television ratings that ITV, um, this was covered again just recently, you know, um, British Champions Day gets fewer viewers than the Cheltenham fixture, which follows on a week later. Yeah. Um, and you know, there really is no com there is no comparison in terms of what actually the quality of the racing, with the with the greatest respect to the opening that opening day of the uh, of the of the of the of the Cheltenham jump season, and and jump racing is I think I think it, I think it, it there's a it's almost a I think it's more more fervent or more it, there's a stronger association with it amongst the fan the fan base is 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 very strong. Um, I mean, I think if you were doing, I think if you're doing jump racing for this, there is a uh, there's a higher risk factor, uh, and I'm not. Some people have talked about the welfare issue, and I and I would be hopeful that one could, you know, 
face that, manage it, deal with it. But I think for an international audience, just actually having to explain what's going on um, and the and the characters involved, you know, which are which really wouldn't have. I mean, Oshin, you know, Oshin is a is a big star in Japan. Yeah. You know, he's known and he's known in Australia. He wrote in Australia. Andrew is a you know is known around the world, um, and those those factors did definitely you know all add up and influence our um our, you know our decisions. That's one of the things I have to applaud you about as well, is anytime media cover our sport that's not dedicated to horse racing, it can often be with the, they might come at with the best of intentions, but it can be patronizing. Like, very, like just explaining in minute detail the smallest of things. And this documentary isn't. It's not going to go over your head if you're not a fan of the sport, but it's also not going to patronize. You're not, I was never at any point getting frustrated with, and I love the way you use the voiceover because you use the, it's the modern style of a very minimalist use of the voiceover. Allow the protagonists, allow the characters on the screen to tell the story as much as possible and then use your narrator to move you from one scene to the next and supply the necessary information. But if you are a hardcore racing fan like I am, there is no sense of being patronized. There is no sense of being taken out of it to have a, a subtle thing explained to you. And that's a difficult thing to get right as well. And I really applaud you for how you've handled that. And that was, I mean, that's possibly, the, that was the, the narrowest tightrope I feel that we, we, we walked because, you know, um, we wanted it to be accessible. But also the last, you know, I always felt that actually our strongest audience and the audience most likely and Drive to Survive is a good example of this. Although I know that there are some, can I call them petrol heads here? Yes, of course. Uh, they, they might get slapped in the face, but you know, fair enough. And I think it, as, the, as the seasons have gone on, have become a little disenchanted with it. But at the beginning, I, I think, you know, they were the ones who were spreading the word because they were so excited that here was something which was opening the door to a sport that they love, but it was doing it in a way which, you know, other friends and family, you know, could also get it, get excited by. Um, and I think that was, a, you know, I think certainly seasons one and two of Drive to Survive were, were, were excellent from that, from that perspective. Um, and we wanted this to appeal to a widest, widest possible audience, but if the racing audience felt it was patronizing. I mean, they may still do, but if, if we wanted to avoid them feeling patronized, I'm so pleased you weren't, that that they were stimulated and interested enough to recommend it themselves because that was, you know, they were an, a, an easier audience to find because we know where they are. And then if they can tell anyone else to watch it on their, you know, on their recommendation, then that probably carries more than us trying to reach, you know, reach other parts. What do you hope new fans of the sport and what do you hope horse racing itself is going to get out of the Amazon Prime documentary Horsepower? Well, I would, yeah, new fans. That would be, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I just hope people, I mean, if they can see the, the, uh, you know, the passion that everybody from an owner to the, to the groom of a horse or the you know, breeder, we have Jeff Smith, who um, is, is wonderful. And actually that you might, you might want a hanky nearby on episode four. Um, when he talks about alcohol-free, um, but being able to convey that sense of emotional attachment that all the parties have, I feel is uh, are the most potent thing that that we have as a sport, 
And that is, you know, one of the hardest things to get across. And if we can get that across and get people to engage and get excited by by the sport, then that would be would be wonderful. Um, and I think, and I, I, mean, I suppose I'm second guessing some some criticism that you know we've followed, you know, a particular trainer with a yard and a particular jockey. I think I would say just from our perspective, I think we, you really had to do that in order to go deep enough to tell those stories. Otherwise, I think you're just skimming along the surface if you're trying to bring in and cover too many things at once. That's an eloquent way of, elo- very eloquent way of putting it as well, as I completely blunder my words trying to get the word eloquent out. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting day at Final Furlough Podcast Towers, folks. I, I can't recommend it enough. You're a former amateur writer yourself. You're still mm. writing. <laughs> I like the way you went, mm. You're still very much involved day to day in that you are working with Michael Bell. You're, you're writing out. We talked a little bit about that off air beforehand. Um, I asked Andrew this, so I'll, I'll ask you as well. I, mean, I do hope that this documentary brings in new fans, and I think that it will. But the current state of British racing, what's your own take on it? Uh, um, I wish I would like to be more positive. Uh, I mean, I had 16 years working for the job, two or three years as a consultant. Today, um, and there was never great times in our industry during during those those points. We were always, you know, striving to get better. But I think we are the the outlook at the moment is bleak, um, but not not insurmountable. I mean, I think everything is cyclical in that, and I think there's a lot of a lot of industries are, are looking at a, a tough time uh, ahead. I guess I, I mean I would love to think that the outlook was um, more positive. And I think we can get there. We can get back on track. Um, we need a structure that enables proper leadership. We need strong leadership from that the bodies which are given to be able to put on sport that is really compelling. And we're not putting on enough compelling competitive. Uh, and that's that's got to be step one. And that won't be solved overnight. But I think the, the shorter term goal is to take the steps which makes what people watch is as competitive and as exciting as possible. And we're, we're some way short of that at present. What would be your final selling point about the documentary to Final Forum Podcast listeners? Why is this a must-watch? What I'd love people to get out of it is to be, you know, entertained, to feel the emotion that is delivered there through the through the human interest stories. And then at, at the heart of it is, um, is, is the horse, the love of the horse that entwines and brings all these different people from different backgrounds together. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a labor of love, uh, but I'm really proud of it. And thanks to everybody who's been involved all the way through, uh, and just give it a try. See what you think. From production companies, Equine Productions and Lord and Entertainment, the team behind the terrific documentaries, Rooney, and particularly one of my favorite documentaries, the Oasis documentary, Supersonic, uh, slightly different, but compelling. I absolutely loved episode one, and I cannot wait to watch two, three, and four. Horsepower, all four episodes drop on Amazon Prime Video on Friday, and I could not recommend it more. We know what's going to happen in these races, but you need to see how this all unfolds behind the scenes. The emotional story of everybody involved, from Andrew, who joined us earlier, his lovely wife, Annalisa, who I got to talk to a little bit earlier on as well, uh, and just how integral she is 
to Andrew and the entire training operation at, at Kingsclear, which is fascinating to see as well and great to get that insight too. And uh, our good friend Oshin Murphy, who just comes across so well in this. Um, definitely troubled. Oshin's never been afraid to say that on the show. But it's a terrific insight and it's a great window into our sport. And I firmly believe that it's ideal for new fans, but more importantly, for the existing fans out there as well. For Final Furlong Podcast listeners who live and breathe racing every single day. We're already dreaming of Cheltenham 2023. Dare I say it, of course. We're doing a big National Hunt podcast tomorrow. Um, it's fantastic. And you you get swept up in it. And it's not just the action on the track. It's the emotion of the people behind the scenes. It's beautifully done. John Maxey, an absolute pleasure to talk to you on the Final Forum Podcast and the very best of luck with Horsepower. Thank you so much, Emmett. And you can see all four episodes of Horsepower Friday on Amazon Prime Video. Spread the word and make sure you add it to your watch list. Uh, we will talk to you again with our jumps special, Paul Ferguson, uh, back with Weatherbees. There will be a discount code, yes, for Paul Ferguson's jumpers to follow guide for 2022 2023 that gravy discount will be available from wednesday make sure you listen to the show thursday another weekend preview and more specials including more jumps previews coming your way on the final forum podcast from all of us thanks so much for listening take care be safe god bless the final furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner kaluki sportsbook With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com.